I don't wanna be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free, so you could hear the truth. Yeah, no. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Truth For Youth podcast. This is Micah Murphy. Well, today I actually have my first guest on the podcast. This is a friend of mine, Heath Evans, former NFL football superstar. And uh, (laughs) anyways, he's kind of an entrepreneur. He's had an amazing faith journey, just a true warrior for Christ. So excited about some of the truth that he's going to be able to share on the podcast. As you guys know, the podcast is meant for biblical truth in a world where we're not sure what is truth, you know, what's the media twisting or what are our friends twisting or what are, you know, certain famous people, how are they twisting or giving us half truths? It's frustrating to know what is good biblical truth. And that's what this podcast is geared for. It's geared for a biblical truth. Now we will give opinions from time to time, but we'll try to state those opinions, but everything is grounded towards Jesus Christ and the truth that he gave us. So Heath, my man, how you been doing, bud? I'm good. It's been a long time since we were at Auburn together. I'm, I, <laughs> you're still looking young and fresh. You know, I mean, I, I've got ten years of uh, NFL, you know, waging war on this body. But uh, yeah, 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 that's right. I've been able to baby mine a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. So Heath and I went to Auburn together. He was uh, the fullback there, and uh, my wife and I were cheering, and that's kind of how we first met Heath and kind of got to talk with him a little bit. And I even got to work out with Heath a little bit after he finished up um, his workout routines in the athletic dorm. After kind of graduating, he started coming to where I call us the peons, worked out in the student activity center. And uh, I got to work out with Heath a little bit as he was getting ready for the combine. I actually remember Heath working towards his uh, bench press, the 225 for reps and him doing circuits and kind of getting ready for that. And I think uh, think it worked pretty well for him. (laughs) He did pretty good. So he you were actually drafted what third over round overall or not third but third round um, in the draft to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, got to go up there and uh, block for one of our state rivals, <laughs> Sean <laughs> Alexander. Sean Alexander, still one of my best friends. You know, we excuse the fact that you know he was a uh, an Alabama man, but uh, he loves the Lord, so we let it slide. That's right. That's right. He, uh, he also is a great man of faith, and I know you've had him even on some of your current business or entrepreneurial, um, you know, endeavors. We'll, we'll kind of talk a little bit about that, the built ready men a little bit later on in the podcast and kind of what you're doing, but, but he kind of take us back a little bit. What, what was Heath Evans like kind of growing up? You actually grew up here in Florida, um, over on the other coast from where I currently am in Venice, but tell us a little bit about your faith journey, kind of growing up your home and the atmosphere there. I was blessed for sure. I grew up in a home that, that, uh, they talked the talk and they walked the walk. They were far from perfect. Mom and dad had, some would say, a tragic past. And then they found Jesus and things started to rectify themselves as Jesus does. Um, but I, I grew up in a home that they, they lived it. It wasn't just something to go to church on Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday. Uh, Mom and dad were trying to live it out. So they gave me a great example. Um, and they were consistent. And in, in a lot of ways, they've had a lot more consistent. They were a lot more consistent. Uh, in front of my sister and I's eyes than um, I have been uh, for my own two daughters. You know, I've had seasons of, of struggle as adult in my walk with Jesus and obedience to Jesus that, um, you know, it's called hurt and harm for my own daughters that God's in the business of rectifying right now. But I was blessed to grow up in a home um, that they loved Jesus and they, they lived it, they talked about it, they never shut up about it. Um, and so my, my faith um, journey started young. 
but we grew up in a sound home that early I was taught this has to be my faith, not, not my parents' faith. Um, this isn't um, me being baptized as a baby that promises me something that we can't find in scripture. This was, hey, Heath, we're going to teach you um, to love Jesus, and hopefully you won't depart from that way as you grow older. So uh, Mimi and Papa Evans were, were beasts. I love them. Um, they have been my, my biggest champions in a lot of ways. Uh, but I was, I was the, the, the punk eight-year-old that said I was going to the NFL when I was eight years old <laughs> and somehow believed it. And by the grace and goodness of God, I, I achieved a lot of those goals. But uh, faith for me was something that I was um, born into but was never forced upon me. Um, I was taught that it's something that I had to own on my own that it wasn't about a church service. It wasn't about songs we sing. Um, it wasn't even about obedience. It was about um, a Jesus that paid the price, a price that I could never pay. Um, and so I, I'm thankful to Mimi and Papa Evans for the truth that they raised me in. That's awesome, yeah. And it's so good that you're talking about owning your own faith. I see that so many times in the student world where students don't realize it, but they're really leaning on the faith of, or the, even the Christian beliefs of their parents, because that's what their parents said. It's really their parents' faith, or even their pastors or youth pastors. And when they get off to college, become adults, they quickly realize this really wasn't my own faith. This was the faith of, of someone else. And so being able to take that ownership is one of my jobs as a youth pastor is really try to instill that into students. Like this has to be your faith. You have to believe this. This is your relationship with Jesus, not something that you're, you're just kind of inherited from your parents. Yeah. And I think accuracy in, in teaching why Jesus was even necessary can, can help all of us, not just youth, really understand why it needs to be our, our faith. Because um, the life of Christ was necessary because we were never going to be good enough. We serve a gracious, loving God who saw um, man never be able to get out of his own way. And, and so there was this penalty because our God is holy and he is loving and he is kind. Um, but there has to be judgment for sin because of his holiness. And, and that judgment ultimately um, was paid for by Jesus if, if, if we believe in Jesus. And so um, my parents raised me um, to see my need for Christ. And I'm thankful for that now because my, my need for Christ always points me back to my deficiency. When I look at my deficiencies and my sin and my shortcomings, accurately the way God sees them minus Jesus. And then I take the whole book of Romans and put it into Jesus died for me while I was an enemy of God, while I was a sinner before the foundations of the world. So then I can look at this free gift and see myself accurately without that free gift. And then there's only one expression left is God, you loved me. So how can I not love you? And then when I see God's forgiveness of my sins freely by no account of my own, then how can I ever hold resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness towards anybody else when God's forgiven me? And so um, the accuracy of the message of Christ, I am thankful for. And the need for Christ, I think, is an all too much important message that isn't being delivered in such a way today that really sets people free and lets them truly fall in love with God. Uh, absolutely. Totally agree with that. So, if that's the way you were kind of growing up and that's kind of your childhood slash middle school, teenage years, 
how did you see that playing out or how did it play out when you were like in high school, for instance, you having that faith and that background, did you find it difficult? Because obviously I've realized living in Florida now versus Alabama and the belt and the Bible belt, it's a lot different down here. So how did you, how were you able to incorporate that into your life as a teenager? Well, it would have looked like I was sold out for Jesus in high school because there was no monkeying around. There was, there was no, um, really sexual promiscuity. There was no drinking. There was no drugs. There was no, there was no nothing. But, but what I realized looking back was the focus that kept me so-called pure was much more a, um, a prideful bent to make it to the NFL. And so, yes, I, I had the understanding of what God's word demands in, in the life of holiness and the life of purity. Um, and a lot would look at my life action-based wise in high school and say, oh, Heath is pure. Heath is living a holy life. The motivation in my heart, looking back now, was much more divided in the sense of why I did what I did. There was even corruption in my mind about, I never would have verbalized in my mouth that I was earning salvation, but I was putting too much emphasis on the obedience for the wrong and the wrong things. And listen, I, I just firmly believe God's rescue mission is is perfectly in play for, um, for those that will place their faith in Jesus. And so I can look back now at 41 and say, man, my motives were off. Uh, my actions were off at times, but the outward appearance, which God could care less about looked really clean, but the heart was still filthily. I mean, it, it was, it was filthy and it was evil. And, uh, what kept me on the straight and narrow was really the pursuit of wanting to play in the NFL. And so, um, you know, I'll never say that actions don't matter, but I'm always going to scream and preach that, that motives matter most. Um, there was a lot of people in the biblical days that had holy action and their hearts were far from God. And, and I don't ever want to fall into that category again. Yeah, I would agree. My high school was a little bit similar in the sense that I felt like instead of maybe you saying, okay, you were kind of focused on maybe the, doing the good works because you were looking at the athletic career, I think sometimes my good works almost became, I was trying to, to be morally good in God's eyes. And it's almost like that trying to earn that salvation. Like, oh, well, if I don't do these things, then, then I'm morally kind of doing what God wants me to do versus really doing it out of an act of love and obedience and really trying to pursue holiness. But we're young, you know, we're trying to figure out our faith and we're not supposed to really have all the answers. I think that's part of our journey as believers, it's, it's constantly a learning and a growing process. Um, okay. So let's get you to college. So you get, you get to Auburn. Now, how was yeah. that with your faith journey? W immediately when you get in, what are you experiencing? I was shell shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I went from Palm Beach, Florida to Auburn, Alabama. My, <laughs> my clothes didn't fit in. My lack of an accident didn't fit in uh, the way I, I mean, literally the way I thought, I mean, even in the sense of, um, you know, high school ball in Florida um, and South Georgia, um, it was just it was just different than a lot of the players that I experienced in, in Alabama, you know. And so I had all kinds of stuff rolling through my head. I was very um, I didn't really have anybody to fit in with. And so I got lonely quick. And when I got lonely, I ended up finding a young lady uh, to, to make me not lonely. And you fast forward through um, <laughs> compromise and what started out as loneliness, that momentarily loneliness was soothed 
became a lot more heartache and hurt because of disobedience to God. She was a, a lovely lady, but she didn't love Jesus. And I was unequally yoked in every way, shape, and form. Um, and, and that caused hurt and harm, not only to me, but to her. Um, and also um, uh, in, in direct disobedience to God. And so um, luckily, as God does, he, he grabbed my attention in multiple different ways. Um, and then as he does, kind of set me back on that, that course of the straight and narrow to continue learning, to continue walking things out with him um, in a very imperfect, flawed, sinful manner. Uh, but that's the graciousness and goodness of God that um, he has just since the beginning of time extended his, his children. And he will um, thwart our plans for our benefit. His plans will prevail. Um, he is a loving, gracious, um, disciplining, chastising God, just like good parents are, except his discipline and chastisement is perfect and it's without flaw. Uh, and it's always done with loving intent where as parents, we get that stuff wrong at times and our discipline um, or our even encouragement falls on deaf ears or we do it wrong motivation. So um, yeah, my, my early year of uh, my freshman year at Auburn was, was one that was costly in ways. Um, but to God be the glory, he does. He repositions our hearts and he kind of sets us back on a, a new path of continue to walk towards him. So, and I know obviously being a college athlete comes a whole nother level of temptation and, and opportunity maybe, and maybe Auburn's different. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I have to believe that there are at least some pretty solid Christians on the team. You're privileged enough to have an amazing chaplain in Chet Williams at the time. Yeah. So I'm sure he helped a lot, but how did you find that being a college athlete with the other, just the temptations and the opportunities that come to follow the world, how did, how did you balance that? And, and what did you do to surround yourself with, you know, other Christians there? Yeah. Well, it's funny. So two things, and I don't need mean this to be in a judgmental light whatsoever. It's just, I had never been around Christians that claimed Christ that were out sleeping and drinking and sleeping around and literally would be in FCA with us in church on Sunday, but their lives looked like hell. And so that was very, off-putting for me. Yeah. Um, and I used it as a crutch and an excuse of like, oh, I'm all alone. I'm the only one. Well, then before too long, you know, my sin looked different, but I found myself being the same type of hypocrite, you know? And so um, I was raised, listen, no one's raised perfectly, but I was raised by a Marine and my mom is a hard, strong, like powerful woman. And so I had the perfect balance of parents. I could care less what my teammates thought about me, said about me. I had a lot of teammates make fun of me because of fighting for sexual purity, uh, for not drinking. I was like, oh, yeah, I can be like you in two seconds. Yeah. You can never, you can't be like me ever again. You know, now I wouldn't say that out loud, but that stuff, like even still to this day, when people harass me on the internet, people bring up lies, it just, it has, it doesn't have a lot of effect on me. So, um, not every kid, especially young man, is raised with the parents that I had. And so I don't take that for granted. And so the ease that I had of standing up to so-called peer pressure, I know most kids don't have that substance of character because they weren't blessed with the parents that I had. And so my, my experience through college, again, when I stepped in sinful decisions, there because that's what my evil heart wanted. 
I wasn't yeah. pressured into them. I wasn't punked into them. Um, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, whether we're 8, 18, 28, 58, when we choose sin, it's coming out of our hearts. It's not because someone forced us to do it. Right. Jesus very clearly says throughout the Gospels that nah, what, what came out of you was already in you. <laughs> if it wasn't in you, it couldn't have come out of you. So, yes, Satan can tempt us. He can lie to us. He can deceive us. He can trick us. He can do all these different things. But the, the deceit, the trick, the temptation wouldn't have set home if we didn't have the desire in our heart. So when people get so focused on Satan this, Satan that, I'm like, I'm much more worried about, God, you cleanse my heart because there's enough evil in me probably to make Satan look like a, a saint at times. You know? <laughs> and so I just, I just constantly try to deal with me and my decision making because I know whether I lose my temper with Ava and Naomi, whether I am short with someone online, whether I choose not to have my quiet time, that failure came from within me and no one else had an impact on me. That was my choice, my sin, uh, my issue. Yeah. And that's, uh, if we would all do a better job, I'm going to throw myself in the category of just taking responsibility for ourselves instead of stop blaming everybody else. Oh, it was, it was the temptation. It was the friends. It was the environment. It was the government. It was whatever. When in reality, we, we are the ones that are choosing a lot of times to do something or to not do something. And like you said, I mean, Satan's not forcing us to sin. He may, he may throw temptation on us, but it's, it's us. We're the ones that are choosing to actually give into that temptation. Yeah. And Jesus set the most perfect example when he went to the cross he, his ministry started out in temptation from Satan, Satan twisting the word of God, but God gave Jesus a lot in life. And that was to die for everyone who would believe in him for their sins. And so he took on personal responsibility for the sins of the world. And he had a choice. The moment they started ripping his beard out, he could have been like, screw this. These people are going to hate me anyway. Yeah. Let me slap this dude around. The moment he got stabbed in the rib with the spear, he could have been like, I'm God, peace, I'm out of here. He took on personal responsibility. And so our great Savior, the one and only Messiah, gave us an example to follow of taking personal responsibility for our actions. If I take personal responsibility, thank God I don't have to take on the sins of, you know, my wife, my children, my boy, Micah. Like, No, no, I just have to take on personal responsibility for my actions, knowing that God has forever forgiven every sin that I will ever step in because of faith and faith alone, having nothing to do with me. Absolutely. And what a great example of the stuff that you were saying of self-discipline, right? I mean, that was the hard, that was a hard decision. It took a lot of self-discipline on his end, but that's the demonstration for us that guess what? It's not going to be easy. It's probably not going to feel good. It's not going to be fun at times, but it's the self-discipline of saying, you know what? I know this is what God's will is, or I know this is what's best in the long run. And Jesus knew what was best for for us in the long run. And thankfully (laughs) he did it so that we could have salvation. Amen. Um, all right. So you're a college athlete, you know, things seem to be going good. You get drafted. Now you're going into a whole nother level of, of limelight, right? Fame, you know, something I talked to you about a little bit before the podcast actually started was humility. And one of my college students just reached out recently and was talking about humility and pride. And, you know, he, like, I want all my students and young people, I want them to achieve success as far as 
what God has for them and to work hard. You know, we're not called to be lazy and bums to work hard. And I want them to strive for that. And so he's trying to balance, Micah, how do I, you know, still be a Christian? How do I strive for success, but yet also still try to remain humble? And I'm guessing, you know, not that you had it perfected and maybe it was ups and downs. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was up and down for you. So when you get drafted, gosh, that's got to feel pretty darn good, right? You, you're, you're like, yes, I made it to the league. So, so walk me through that and with your faith and, and how that played out. Well, um, obviously a dream come true. And, and, I'm, and I, I believe um, we, have, we have a lot in life. You know what I mean? I, I just believe, not believe, I, I just know it. God sets up kings and rulers. He says that he is the maker of the rich and the poor. And there's a lot of part of scripture that people love to skip over or never teach on and preach on. To me, those are the most beautiful parts of scripture because I know that the moment I take that, that step of faith towards God and his pursuit of me, um, that everything in my life has a plan. And God has promised through Romans 8, 28, that, that all things. So whether getting... Um, <laughs> unfairly fired from NFL Network, tearing my knee in the middle of the 2009 um, Super Bowl uh, year, um, whether getting cut from the Miami Dolphins in 2005, that my God says that this is for my good and his glory. So there is great rest in knowing that God is fully in control. So um, there was great excitement about seeing that dream realized. The greatest thing about humility for me, um, people can give you a lot of – cliche definitions. I just think humility for Heath Evans is knowing that everything I have ever done, everything that I will ever be, everything that will ever be viewed as great, humble, loving, caring, kind, generous, whatever is of God. And anything that is lying, deceitful, arrogant, prideful, um, selfish, uh, adulterous, lustful, um, lying, anger, it's all me. Because that's what the Word of God says. The the Word of God gives me great hope in that I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to meet a standard that's unobtainable because the standard is Jesus. And so at the root of pride is always me and what I've done. I talked a moment ago about accurately seeing why Jesus was necessary. The greatest gift God's ever given me is accurately seeing myself as God sees me, minus Jesus. Mm. In his holiness and in his perfect love, and in because of his holiness, the judgment that he has that has to be held, he sees me apart from him. He sees me in a stiff-armed state that he cannot touch me because of my filth, my sin. But then I get to see myself as a child in right standing, and in forever favored in the hand loving arms of God because of Jesus. God gave Jesus to Heath Evans. He called my heart. He softened my heart. He gave me eyes to see the gracious gift of God. He gave me ears to hear his word, to adopt his truth so that I see him accurately and I see myself accurately. So in this world of like self-love, if we could love ourselves, there would be no need for God. If we could love ourselves into health or into a a good mental disposition or into love ourselves out of anxiety or love ourselves out of depression, there's no need for Jesus. 
And I, listen, I don't ever want to be offensive because Lord knows I've said some stupid stuff, but if I hear one more pastor, you know, talk about loving yourself, I'm like, please show me just one spot in the Bible. And they always point to two verses where Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and then love others as you love yourself. I'm like, you do know that Jesus was saying we were arrogant jerks and we always love ourselves first. We always put ourselves first. So stop doing that and love others as you naturally love yourself. And so I'm I'm getting a little long-winded, but let me bring this back to humility. Humility is the gracious gift of God to let us see who we are minus Jesus. And so can I take responsibility for my mom and dad that raised me so hard and so well that taught me how to be disciplined? No. Can I take responsibility for my high school coach that taught me how to be a man that really helped mom and dad shape me into be a servant-hearted leader? When every other high school coach tells your seniors, you boss all the young ones around. Well, my senior year, I was carrying the helmets. I was filling the water glasses. Mm. I was cleaning up after practice. I was the best running back in the state of Florida. I had 44 touchdowns and 2,500, 2,400 yards and 150 tackles my senior year. I was it. But my, I had a man that was teaching me, no, no, no. What Jesus do? So you go wash the feet of the frosh. Wow. You go serve the juniors. Can I take responsibility for Jeff Loveland? No, God gave me him. Can I take responsibility for Terry Bowden teaching me an aspect of football that would later serve me in the NFL? Can I take responsibility for being drafted to Mike Holmgren, being served by Bill Belichick, being under Sean Payton? No, God orchestrated all those things. So when I start taking responsibility for anything, I am a fool and I do not believe the word of God. God says in this political day and age of of voting for a president, he sets up kings and rulers. Yes, we're going to use our voices and we're going to vote and we are going to be Um, well-educated American citizens based on the word of God, but he has the final say. And so in my life, the moment that I take responsibility for running a 4-4, I'm a fool. The moment I start taking responsibility for bench pressing what I bench, I'm a fool. The moment I take responsibility for being able to love and serve my daughters, I'm a fool. All those things are of God, for God, and by God, period, Mm -hmm. the end. So when we accurately see what the word of God says about us, it makes us less and it makes God everything. So it's very, very convicting the moment we start to move into pride that we are taking responsibility for something that God could be like, have you heard of the story Job? <laughs> have, have, have you seen the story of Saul who became Paul? What personal responsibility do they have in any of it? God gave them strength. So Saul was a murderer of Christians and God says, ah, that's my man. Let me blind you for three days. Let me give you revelation like no one's ever going to ever have ever again. You're going to write two thirds of the New Testament. What human responsibility was there in that? None. God did it. God so shifted their hearts to the glory of God. that They were like, how can I not give you my life? How can I not humbly bow before an almighty God? Because it is all you for you and by you. Whew. Man, that was some good stuff, guys. <laughs> oh, go back and listen to that again, man. He just preached it. Guys, it, it couldn't be said any better than that, guys. Look, that's right the opposite of this world tells you. This world tells you it's all about you. It's what you're accomplishing. It's your good. Like he said, it's all about this self-love and you deserve this and you deserve that. What he just said, none of that is possible without God without his grace, without his mercy, without his love, without the ability. And he can snatch it it, uh, in a blink of an eye. It can all be gone. Um, Man, so thanks for sharing that, guys. If you didn't get that, uh, something's wrong with you. All right, so that's that's, uh, that's humility, right? And and I I want 
people to realize this. And this is what I was trying to tell my, that one student too, that was asking me, humility is not weakness. It's not meekness. Humility is just realizing that it's not all about you. Like Heath was just saying, I mean, obviously look at Heath. Now he, he's a beast. Uh, if you haven't watched the, the clip from the NFL network where he's busting out <laughs> 225 reps and, and watch him work out with Michael Hearn, he, he is a beast. So, so humility has nothing to do with weakness. It, and I think that's one of the things that student was, was confusing it with a little bit was, does that mean I'm weak? Does that mean I'm not bold? No, no, it, you are still bold, but it also realizing that people around you, they're humans too. They're creatures of God as well. And like he was saying, we're supposed to love others because it naturally comes. We love ourselves, but what about loving others? And if you start looking at others, like you're looking at yourself, then that helps keep the humility in, in check as well. Um, so great. Thanks for sharing that. So let's, so your career in the NFL, a little bit of ups and downs. I mean, you, you kind of got going with, uh, with Seattle, then you got traded to the, to the dolphins, right? Was no. that next? The dolphins? Yeah, so that was short-lived. Yeah, four years in Seattle, and then I signed with the Dolphins in free agency. Nick Saban's first year, okay. that lasted six weeks, and then they told me I wasn't good enough. Mm. <laughs> so then you had a little chip bad. on your shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, man. I, I had never been cut from anything in my life, but it definitely, it definitely hurt, but God had a plan, and it was right. Open doors. That's what you just talked about. Closed doors, open doors. So then you get to go to the, the Patriots. Yeah. And uh, I never will forget it, man. I remember you were actually getting to start as tailback. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a fullback. He's the starting tailback because of so many injuries, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the, and that's, that's the, the beauty of, of God's handwritten story on, on my life. You know, 10 days after the Dolphins cut me, I'm back down in Miami as a part of the New England Patriots team. So Nick Saban says I'm not good enough. Bill Belichick, fresh off his third Super Bowl in four years, says now – we need you. Um, and then because of injuries, as you mentioned, 10 days later, I'm back in Miami, you know, get thrusted into the game because of an injury to Corey Dillon at tailback. <laughs> I end up having over, you know, 110 all-purpose yards leading our team to victory over the team that just cut me. And mm. the, the great story is that I've relayed this into now business coaching and, and teammate in, or in team building is that um, extraordinary teams, which the the – the church of Christ is supposed to be extraordinary teams make ordinary players like myself appear extraordinary. Mm. And that's what the power of God does in our life. And when we start putting the whole word of God together, the power of God resides in me and on me and works through me. So to human eyes, it can appear like something uh, super is in me, but what it is, is it's something supernatural. And that supernatural is God, which then when people come to praise me. It's so easy knowing who I am without God, knowing that I'm the guy that got cut from the Dolphins, but Bill, Ch Bill Belichick picked me up. Did anything change in 10 days with my athletic ability? No, but a great extraordinary team picked me up. And then an ordinary talent appeared extraordinary on that field that day. That's what God does in our life. He takes a nobody and makes us a son of the living God or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then the moment that through faith and faith alone in Jesus alone, there is no other name. There is no other God. It's not Allah. It's not Hindu. It's not Buddhist. It's not Catholicism. It's not Baptist. It's not Presbyterian. It is Jesus. And in Jesus alone, then I get to take on the righteousness of Christ. And then I become, I start appearing extraordinary. 
because the power of the living God is living in me. And so the beautiful part of, of that, um, what some would call a failure of getting cut by the dolphins, walked me into extreme blessing that God had for me. And so um, just another fingerprint of God all over the story of my life, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah, and obviously, you, you, the the day you got cut, like you said, that's devastating. You've never really been cut. It's It's been pretty much just success, what it looks like and appears like all this time. And there's got to be this moment of, God, what, you know, what, what's going on? Why is this happening? Things were going so well. And, and just all this uncertainty, not realizing it a lot of times, because we can't see, we don't know the future. We can't see the future, but it comes back to that trust factor. Okay. I'm trusting that God is sovereign and, and that he's got a plan for me and he's going to work out, you know, the things that he wants to work out. So that's for my good and for my benefit. And that's, Man, that we can all look back, I, I think, as Christians that have journeyed long enough in life and to look back at those closed doors or those terrible moments in life where we can see God has, has somehow orchestrated that to end up being for his good and for his glory down the road. But it takes a lot of faith and a lot of trust in those moments, in that storm, in order to get through that. Yeah. So, okay, so you get through there, you get to the saints, you have the knee injury, but and Super Bowl champs, though, right? And at that moment, you decide, okay, hey, it just your body just felt like you you have been done ten years. Was that kind of the the reason for retirement? I mean, from the Micah, from the time I was like sixteen, I always said I'm gonna play ten years and then reevaluate. I said I was gonna play ten years in the NFL <laughs> like it was eating a donut, which you know I eat a lot of. <laughs> but that's what I did. I got to ten years, and I said, listen, I only want to play with New Orleans or New England. And, you know, after that, you know, lockout season of uh, 2010, 2011 offseason, um, neither of those teams either couldn't afford me or didn't want to sign me. And I wasn't willing. I didn't want to go start over. I didn't want to. Right. The game was too painful, too costly emotionally, physically, too costly on my family to go lose. And I knew how hard it was to win in our business. Um, and so I decided to, to take the NFL Network job and, and, and move to California. And. Here I still am nine, nine years later out in Los Angeles County, which is absolutely crazy. This is going to wrap up part one of the interview with Heath Evans. We're going to pick back up in the next podcast where he retires from the NFL. He goes on to be an analyst with the NFL Network. The things that happen there, the faith journey just continues for Heath. And then we're going to talk about his new ministry. Guys, you'll want to tune into this next podcast, I promise you. Heath has got so much more truth and value to share. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening. If you find value, please share the podcast with others. And if you get a chance, leave a comment, leave a review. It really helps the podcast to grow. Thanks, guys, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. I don't want to be just someone that's new. I speak my mind so free so you could hear the truth. Yeah, I know that we all have.